0: McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing, so get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers, thank you for joining us in the Iwaka To Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women own their voice so they can create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get excited when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Trey Anthony. She's an award-winning writer. She is a relationship and life coach. She is the first Black woman in Canada to have a television series on Primetime Network. And her work includes the plays, The Kink in My Hair, and How Black Mothers Say I Love You. Trey's life purpose is to empower women to live their best damn lives. (laughs) And her new book, Black Girl in Love with Herself, published by Hay House, is available now. So please welcome to the show, Trey Anthony.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. Yes, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before I even start, yesterday I was interviewing um, S- Selena Cesar Chevan for the second time on the show, and we were talking about her book, and she just kept talking about your book, and I was like, I didn't even tell her that I was having this conversation with you today, because we were already overexcited, excited. <laughs> <But, laughs>
1: Oh wow! Yes, we're both fans of each other's books, so yes, it's it's very good. Yes, it's amazing how many black women are coming out with books at this time. It's yeah, it's it's
0: wonderful. Wonderful, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. That is what I am here for. So, I mean, the basis of this podcast is because you know, on social media, we see everyone's highlight reel, but people are more inspired by knowing who you are on a deeper level, getting to know the adversities that you've had to go through to get to where you are presently. So before we jump into your story, I love to ask the women that come on the show, because as women, we have all these different titles that we go by, but a title that I feel isn't given enough significance is our name because our names have meaning. So Mm -hmm. I know that you've referenced, I've seen in multiple places that you have a boy name. So I would love to know, not only do you know Trey, the meaning of your name, But I guess the story behind how your parents chose your name. Oh, wow. Um,
1: Yes. Um, I don't really know the full meaning of my name. I should look that up. Um, But my real, um, what they call it, um, your name on your birth certificate, government name, (laughs) is um, Tracy. But everybody calls me Trey. So it's so funny. I'm so connected to the name Trey that I don't even look around when you know when you meet somebody with your same name and you're like, Oh, here's another Tracy. I I don't make that connection at all. Wow. So um I love apparently it. Apparently my my parents wanted to call me Amanda. Thank God that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to any Amanda's out there. But <laughs> I just don't feel like I could have been Amanda or Amandy. Like I'm just like, oh no. And apparently it was my father's best friend who walked into the hospital room and said, oh, call her Tracy. She looks like a Tracy. And mm. that's what they went with. But my mom, all in her pregnancy, said she wanted to call me Amanda, that she really liked the name Amanda. So, um, But wow. I love having a gender-neutral name, and um, it's just gotten me so far. And I, I love to when people um, – I'm always quite surprised when people reach out and they want to intern at your company or they want to work with you and then they go, Mr. Trey Anthony, I'm such a big fan of yours. And I'm like, well, if you were a fan, you would know I'm a woman. Then you would know. (laughs) So that's always something that makes me laugh, things like that,
0: yes. I love it. I love it. So I, I didn't know that your, you know, government name was Tracy. So I had Googled Trey and it refers to um, the number three, but like three, for card games. So three in dice or cards or dominoes. So I was like, interesting. Ooh. I wonder if, yeah, I wonder if that resonated with you in any way. Hmm.
1: Three. No, because my lucky number is seven. So I was hoping it had something to do with seven, but no. <laughs> Um, and I, I know Will Smith has a son named Trey, so, I, know that. <laughs> so I, I feel connected to him, but I think it's because he's the third, because um, um, Will Smith is mm. named after his father, and then Trey is named after Will, so because he's the third, they call him Trey, so I guess that's where they got the three from. But yeah, okay. no, I didn't know. So no, so no, it doesn't resonate with me quite well yet, but maybe, it might grow
0: okay. on me. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So I want to jump straight into your story. And after watching your TED talk coming out of your box, I want you to share with us how you came out of your box. Oh, wow.
1: Um, For me, it was really about, um, I always knew that I wanted to be an actor and I always knew I wanted to be in an entertainment. And for the start of my career, I think I was a bit naive, especially as a black woman, and especially as a black woman who didn't fit the um, Hollywood norms of whatever beauty is supposed to be. You know what I mean? I was a dark-skinned black woman with natural hair. And so there, there weren't many roles that were coming my way, except for mm-hmm. like, Kraken, number one, Baby Mama, number two, um, Woman on Welfare, number three. And so for me, coming out of my box meant really about starting my writing career for myself and starting to write the stories that I wanted to tell and to see. And I wanted to definitely see authentic portrayals of Black women. And I think that's why my plays and my TV shows got so popular, because it was the first time... Um, Especially with Black Canadian women, we have seen women this layered before, Mm -hmm. you know. And it was also the same way in why I felt to write Black Girl in Love with Herself, um, my self-help book, because for so many years as well, I had, you know, I don't think there's a self-help book that I hadn't read. And yet there was definitely some things that were missing in those books that I could not identify with. And so for me, coming out of my box also meant writing the self-help books that I wanted to read that really address how we as Black women have to navigate this world that sometimes Mm -hmm. isn't the best for us, right? Like, let's just call it what it is, right? There's Mm -hmm. a lot of things that happen to us that white women are just very unaware of when the mainstream is very unaware of. And we're only starting to have these conversations just recently where, um, the mainstream is actually listening to us and believing us. So for me, coming out of my box meant always being authentic, always being true, always being vulnerable, and always taking a risk and doing mm-hmm. things. Even when I'm scared, I try to be brave. Yeah.
0: Wow. I mean, there there's so many things in there that you spoke to that I want to unpack because as someone like someone myself, who's also in the personal development industry and my mentor Mm -hmm. is a 90 year old white man. (laughs) So I know the struggles (laughs) Yeah, because a lot of my clients, when I was pushing, yeah, who my mentor was and they're like, yeah, I don't resonate. I, yeah, no. So it wasn't until I started pushing my own narrative, my own experiences was when I started to see success in my business. So you were talking about the self-help world and how important it it was. I mean, from your perspective, there was no representation. Do you know what I mean? The, people don't understand the yeah. importance of representation and how representation matters. And sometimes, and I know this was used as an objective around fellow coaches with me. Well, you know, tell people that it, it shouldn't matter who the messenger is. It's about the message. But also if you oh. don't see anyone that looks like you, it's almost like that vision that you have of it being possible for you. Isn't there. So I think it's exactly. so important that you wrote the book from that perspective. You know, when I think about your story, and like I mentioned before, um, S- Selena, Caesar, Chavan, even how transparent she was in her story. And she had mentioned to me yesterday how she was, you know, inspired by when she read my book back in 2013 or 14 or whatever it was, how mm-hmm. we are able to tell our story from our own narrative how yeah. important that is for other women to be able to see themselves and to be able to, um, you know, it's like social proofing to, to be able to connect on a deeper level and realize, okay, wow, she had these experiences too. Okay. I'm not crazy. Oh, it's not just me. Like those things are yeah. so important.
1: It is. It, it It's extremely important because I think um, when you're not part of the mainstream narrative, you start to really question if, you and your experiences are valid and are real Mm -hmm. and you know it's just that small things of like authenticity like I've had women who have found my book and I've said you know I was in Barnes & Noble and I picked up your book and I started reading the back and then I looked in and and the reason I picked it up because I saw a black woman on the cover it was Mm. as simple as that like I was just like oh my god who's this black woman on the cover of a book in the self-help section in Barnes & Noble, (laughs) you know, so we don't realize how often and how hungry we are to see ourselves, and so that is really important, and so for me, it was one of the big reasons why I really pushed to get this book out and call it a Black girl in love with herself, because there was some, you know, talks around, should we just call it a girl in love with herself, and I was like, no, I'm a Black girl. Like mm-hmm. every part of my experience is me as a black girl walking through this world, and I really wanted. Of course, there's other women, Asian, brown, indigenous women who have picked up the book, white women who have it has resonated with. But I really wanted a book for us, by us, that black women were like, hey, yeah, this is for us.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I think it's even important that you spoke to that, because when you talk about sometimes when someone is writing something from their perspective, or even when someone chooses to pick a particular like niche to even focus on, you know who you are speaking to, and that's why you're able to tap into them on a deeper level and to resonate with them. But it doesn't mean you're excluding anybody else. Like you saying, yes, you wrote it for Black women, but there's also... You know, other cultures that have resonated with the book. I can totally relate where I wrote my book for women as well. And then I had men (laughs) that were reading the book and telling me, you know, how they resonated with my experiences. So I think, you know, sometimes people will look at, even if they're thinking about writing a book and they're like, oh, well, you know, I want to make this for everyone. Well, no, if you make it too general, then you're going to yeah. miss out on a lot of people. And when you niche down and you get very specific about who you're talking to, people feel like you're talking directly to them.
1: Yes, exactly. And one of the things that I really love that people have said to me is, I feel when I'm reading your book, it's like a girlfriend talking to me, like my best friend talking mm-hmm. to me. Like I'm, I feel like you're my bestie right Mm -hmm. and I I just love that when people say I know we don't know each other but I feel like you're my bestie like the way you talk is exactly how me and my girlfriends talk behind closed doors when we think Mm -hmm. nobody else is listening and you just get down and you you say it like it is and it's very relatable so for me that has been one of the biggest compliments and reviews of the book is when they say Trey Anthony is like your best friend in your back pocket right
0: (laughs) I love it I love it so, in the book, you break down lessons and tools that you've used to heal in your life, and some of those things include mm-hmm. setting clear and healthy boundaries uh, to stop being the family ATM, sorting out who mm-hmm. your real friends are, confronting microaggressions, and forgetting who black women are supposed to be, and falling in love with mm-hmm. yourself. yeah, there's yeah. so much so much goodness in there and I'm like, what do I want to unpack first <laughs> okay so let's talk about the healthy boundaries part because I think right now that's like a major focus for me so I would love to unpack that with you like for women that are listening what are what's some advice that you would give to them about setting healthy boundaries
1: yeah I think for myself I know I'm a very a type personality I'm also a former people pleaser like I love to make people happy, and I say yes to a lot of things that I should have said no to. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I think one of the biggest things, funny enough for me, what made me really become clear about my boundaries was becoming a mother Mm -hmm. because I realized how my son responds to boundaries when I put them in place and how Mm -hmm. he responds when I don't have any boundaries. And I realized that when you're wishy-washy about things, People, including an, a nearly two-year-old, will run all over you, right? Yep, yep, and yep. so I just decided, like, for me, it's about being very clear and saying to people, because the one thing that I used to always do is if someone says, um, Trey, can you do blah, blah, blah? I'd be like, yeah, 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 no problem. And I wouldn't take a look at my schedule. I would answer right away. I wouldn't even look and see, like, how that's going to impact the time away from my own time for myself, my own time away from my child, my own time, you know, of just taking care of my household. And so now one of the things that I talk about in the book, Black Girl in Love With Herself, I talk about saying to people that Tyrone's emergency isn't your emergency, right? So if you want a response right away, you can say, hey you know, can you give me 24 hours or 48 hours? I'll get back to you on that. I'm going to think about that. And for you to be able to look at that and see if it makes sense. The other thing too, where I find a lot of us who are type A personalities and come from immigrant families where we are the first generation of Canadians or first generation of Americans born in that country, a lot of us are what we call the successful children, right? And Mm -hmm. especially if you're the firstborn, there's a lot of things placed on you around just money. And I saw that with, within my own family dynamic and my friends dynamic, that people thought that I had, you know, this tree outside that I was just shaking. And, giving <laughs> away money, right? yep. and I was just like, come on, come on, get your bucket full off the tree mm-hmm. tree, right? And, it's, and I think, you know, even with the women I coach, a lot of them are very successful. And there's this thing called the success guilt where we feel because we quote unquote made it and we don't want other people to think that we've changed because we've made it or you know that saying, she get rich and she switch. right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. By, what we then do is then overcompensate and overcompensate looks like giving away your money to friends and family at all times, always being the one to pick up the check, always the one to be the person who when everybody's in crisis you're there and then there's nobody there for you so mm-hmm. it's putting those boundaries in place even with friends who you know I, I had a friend a former friend who was always in the same damn crisis over and over again and it got to the point where I was just like we've been having the same conversation for 15 years now mm-hmm. right it's like when are we going to stop doing this and I realized it was because I was indulging in this right being very indulgent with her around having this conversation, giving her um, things to do and key steps and, you know, checking and stalking, um, you know, her boyfriend at that time Facebook page with her. And then I was just like, I'm really going <laughs> this I'm grown. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> right? Yep. And I think that's what we have to do. And sometimes we have got to recognize these things no longer serve us. And we're grown. And yes. what would a grown person do with healthy boundaries? How would they move through the world? And so that's what I always ask the clients that I work with. And I also ask myself, you know, mm-hmm. I cannot keep saying yes to everybody because every yes to someone is a no to yourself. So you absolutely. have to also remember that.
0: Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, first things first, you spoke about your son. Your son's name is Kai, correct? Yes, Kai. My yes. S- yeah, my son's name is Kai as well. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> How old is your son? Um, he's 15. Yeah. I've so, met his- so many women now <laughs>
1: with the name Akai and all of them are older because I kept thinking they bit my name, right? I was like, okay, oh, <laughs> but I every single woman I've met, all of their children are older than me. So I was like, No, I'm the one who's um, <laughs> right? But I thought it was such an original name and now I've been meeting so many people. Even a woman, um, her daughter's name is Kai and she's about five. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so we've we've got something. female Kai's in the family unique. as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it was being very unique. And now I've met at least half a
0: dozen. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a beautiful name. So his on his birth certificate it says Mukai, but we call him Kai. We've been calling him Kai since he was born. His cousin's name is Akai, and we've got people females in the family named Kai as well. Um so yeah, it's oh, a beautiful wow. name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I do love it. <laughs> but you spoke to, you know, teaching your son boundaries. And I think it's important for people to hear how you setting boundaries for yourself, how he learned that. Because young people will basically learn up or down by watching how we act, right? And what what we do and how important that is in yeah. carrying on those habits. Um, that was the first thing I, I definitely want to point out. And then the second thing when you spoke about success guilt and the overcompensation, been yeah. there. So, so you struck a chord yes. with me there. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then yes. The, the part about yes. evolving and, you know, when sometimes we may have friends that are, I'm going to say, stuck having the constant pity parties and we, you know, they invite us to the pity parties and we show up. But how many times are you going to show up before you say, OK, this isn't fun anymore. I'm, I'm not enjoying this. I'm like you said, I'm too old for this. It's no longer enabling those behaviors because if you've evolved honestly at the end of the day we we only attract what we're in harmony with so as you start to evolve the things that you may have connected to in the past or they may have resonated with you in the past you've moved above that so those things you can no longer connect and relate to and sometimes there are people that no matter how many tools you give them no matter how many times you come to the rescue no matter how many times you hold their hand like you said it's the same situation happening over and over and over again. Like, you know, everyone evolves at a different pace, but you can't stay in that place with them, unfortunately. And people get upset when you don't. They feel like because of loyalty from, you know, relations by family or how long you've known them as a friend that you're obligated to sit in it with them. And that's not true. And it's
1: it's so true. Um, Like even in my book, um, Black Girl in Love With Herself, I talk about, uh, there's worksheets after each chapter, and one of the worksheets in the friends chapter of how you assess your friends, one of the questions I asked, I said, if you were at a dinner party, and you were seated beside your current best friend right now, which you still choose to sit beside her? And would her conversation make you feel good about yourself? Would you feel that you are learning from that person? Would you find them intriguing? Would you say, hey, I would love to get your number for us to continue this conversation? And so many of us are stuck with our day ones that Mm -hmm. we call them. And our day ones are stopping us from going to being tens, tens in our lives, right? Because we have this loyalty and we outgrow people. You know, I always say to people, I'm not even the same woman I was three minutes ago, right? So I'm always evolving and you have to be around people who are evolving too, right? And it's not also about like, it's not about like, you know, cutting off people or anything like that, but it's also just assessing is this conversation a good one for me? And there came a point for me where I just didn't want to be involved in certain levels of conversations that some of my older friends from way back were having. I didn't mm-hmm. want to be in that anymore. I needed something more to stimulate me.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, the more that you grow and the more you evolve and you start to, I'm going to say, tap into the fullness of who you are, the less space and patience you have for people who are sucking that energy from you. Cause we only have, yeah. you know, so much energy to go around. And if you're, you know, a mom and you're building a business and you're doing other things that require a lot of you, you have less capacity for the things that are pulling you down or draining and, and, and sucking your energy.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yes. So I want you to tell us how people can get back up from the bathroom floor. I mean, there's a lot of people, especially right now during the pandemic, people who have experienced all kinds of knockdowns, people who are probably still on the bathroom floor as they are listening to this podcast right now. Yes. Um, It's funny.
1: I did um, an interview just yesterday, and I was saying to the person who was interviewing me that for the longest time, I felt that I could no longer give relationship advice to women because I miss the tsunami that was hitting my own life, right? So I felt a bit Mm -hmm. like a fraud, right? Mm -hmm. And she said to me, I feel this is who I wanna get advice from is a person who's been on the damn floor, right? A Mm -hmm. person who missed all of the signs and could say, hey girl, these are the signs that I missed, right?
0: (laughs) So that was a really good
1: way of looking at it because for those of you who don't know the backstory, For me when i started writing the book black girl in love with herself um, i had gotten a book deal from hay house and the book deal was about me talking and coaching black women on how to manifest a wonderful relationship in their lives how to have you know healthy relationships with um, their significant others how to write your lists and make this person show up in your life and at that time i thought I was in a healthy, amazing relationship of four years. And five months before my book was due, I got a text from my partner saying, I no longer want to do this, right? And to say I was devastated would be an understatement. I also had a two-week-old baby um, that I had just brought home who I had adopted. I was given 14 days to leave the brand new condo that we had just moved into four weeks prior. And we were going into a pandemic. So to say I was on the bathroom floor, right, is an understatement, right? And then you also put in the financial piece, which was a real reality for me, Mm -hmm. that all of my shows were being canceled, all of my live events, my talks, um, all my clients now who couldn't afford to be doing things because they were now being affected by the pandemic were canceling left, right, and center. So financially, it was a lot for me as well mm-hmm. because I just saw every single thing that I thought financially would be coming in was now disappearing, and I was you know basically living off of my savings as someone who's self-employed, right? Mm-hmm. And I was devastated. Like I cannot even describe. Like there were days that I literally curled up on the floor and could not move and there was one moment where I was on the bathroom floor and I said God I don't want to die but Mm -hmm. I don't want to live like this Wow! and really and truly it was kind of like this voice that came to me and said you know what make your mess your message other women are going to learn from this right and so I remember calling up my editor and I was like I can't write the book that I said that um, I was going to write because I'm going to feel like a fraud. How can I give relationship advice mm-hmm. life? If this is what I'm going through. And then she said to me, well, what can you write? And I said, I can write a book a why as women we give away the job to someone else to love us, and then when they walk away, we then feel that we are no longer lovable or worthy. And in mm-hmm. the first place, we shouldn't be giving away that kind of power to somebody. And also, why as women, why are we so invested in checking off the checklist of, you know, you meet your person by age 30, you buy your first house by age 32, you get married by age 35, you have your first kid by age 37. And we're checking off and checking off and posting all of these wonderful pictures on Instagram, and we're checking how many likes we've got, and yet we don't check in on ourselves, on so, are we yeah. really happy,
0: yeah. right? yep. Yeah.
1: And so I said, that is the book that I want to write. And so for any woman who's on the floor right now, I want to give you hope because I've been there, girl. Like, I think I was on the floor underneath the basement of the floor, mm. underneath mm. the damn house crumbling floor. That's where I was. It's you got to take it, not even day by day. But for me, I remember just saying a prayer and I used to say, God, just get me through this hour. I'm going to mm-hmm. just do it hour by hour. And everything in that hour required a little tenderness for myself. So there were days that I literally had conversations with myself. And I talked to, like, that little six-year-old girl who now felt so frightened inside of me of not being picked, not being chosen, not being loved, and also feeling humiliated and embarrassed, right? Because everything Mm -hmm. that I had bet on had blown up in my face, and it was so public as well, right? And I literally have conversations with myself saying, Trey, I love you. You are loved. You're going to get through this. There's a lesson in this for you, right? And then sometimes I would say, are you scared? It's okay to be scared. We're going to work through this. And it's also about finding support and real support. You know, I talk about yeah. this in my book, how often as Black women, and I've been guilty of it myself, where when all of this was happening to me, My mom and sister came down, of course, to help support me in the way that they thought that I needed support. Mm
0: -hmm. And one
1: day I broke down in the bathroom crying, and I had never really cried in front of my mother. And I said to my mother, mom, I don't think I can make this. Like, I don't think I can do this. I'm not going to make it. Mm
0: -hmm. And my mother
1: looked at me and she said, well, remember whose daughter you are. You can't make this kill you. You can't make this kill you. Your mother and grandmother had it way worse. And I remember going after that, and I'm I'm writing in my journal and saying, I know my mother means well, and she has always been that person who was my cheerleader, the person who gave me my pep talk, the person who told me to keep going. But at Mm. that time, I didn't need that. What I needed was someone to say, you know what, Trey, you're hurting And here's a safe space for you to fall apart. And if you want to fall apart once, if you want to fall apart twice, if you want to fall apart three times, I'm here for you because Mm -hmm. you need to cry about this. You don't need to have, you know, you know, put your chin up. You don't have to act like everything's okay. You need to break down. The toxic positivity. Black women. Yeah we have to sometimes break down. And I realized that I have been that person to a lot of women in my life as well. You know, sending them, you know, all of these positive quotes, like, oh, you've got this. But what if mm-hmm. you don't got it? What if you really don't got it? Yeah. And that's what I write about in the book of finding and creating these safe spaces and being vulnerable enough to trust your emotions and be able to feel them and sit with them. Also, maybe, you know, seek outside help, help me be that therapy, you know, whatever that is for you. But we have to learn how to still be brave, but yet be vulnerable in our bravery.
0: I have goosebumps right now. Um, and, and this is the importance in telling our stories transparently. And I honestly believe that our stories may be about us, but they're not only for us because there's always some part in someone else's story that you can resonate with or that you can learn from. And Everything that you have just said in the last like five minutes, I was like, oh my God, me too. Oh my God, me, oh my God, me too. Oh my goodness, me too. Uh, (laughs) And, and, And I'm quietly listening as you're talking about each experience. And it was like, I resonated with every single part. And even how you started with speaking about in the beginning when you got the book deal, the intention of the book, how things were supposed to go, right? I I already know in life things never go according to plan, so I stop arguing (laughs) with God. I'm like, okay, (laughs) your way. How how are we doing this? Because my way is clearly not the way. But you know, you went through an unexpected breakup, and I'm holding my heart as I say this because I'm currently it's like been two years, but I'm currently still working through my healing process. But it's like
1: you you being.
0: Right. That's why I'm I'm feeling you so hard right now because I'm like you know you, you talked about the missed signs and how that that's what people wanted to hear about and when I experienced the unexpected breakup that just like you I was like how the heck what? I'm 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 confused and it was. Yeah. A similar manner to yours, where you said you got a text message, it was like, we lived together, and I was out, mm-hmm. and he moved out while I was at my girlfriend's house.
1: <laughs>
0: no conversation. Uh, we should
1: compare notes, girl. We should compare notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I,
0: I, so, uh, you know, the, the shock when you talk about having to rethink your whole life, everything that you had planned, because the person that you intended to spend the rest of your life with, not only are they no longer around and everything that you had moving forward, including, you know, children and life goals and business and what, and all of those things. And then throwing in like, uh, uh, my brain can't even process right now. I'm just like, how, how is how yeah. does this happen to so many black women? <laughs> one after yeah. the other. Cause I've had the same conversation, yeah. even with Sasha Exeter, we had an episode a year and a half ago where we compared notes of what happened. It's like, It's devastating and you're, you have to go through this grieving process, but then you're still expected to show up and you're still expected to be a good parent and you're still expected to do this and you're still expected to do that. And people Uh don't understand the depth of the hurt because we still show up. (laughs) And and then that's it. it, That's it. That is right. Right there. Because we
1: still show up. We still show up. Even when we're tired, we still damn well show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right.
0: mm-hmm. and then you're, you know, when people try to support you, like you said with your mom, as much as she meant well, the talking about the older generation or whoever else experienced worse. Like I think one of the 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 greatest hurts that we can do to someone when they're hurting is the comparative suffering, because someone else's trauma. You could have two people experience the same exact trauma, and one person be completely fine for the rest of their life, unaffected, but another person, like their healing process could take years. Are we are we are different. We feel differently. We we absorb things on different levels. We resonate with things differently. So to one person, that experience could be so devastating. So when people say, oh well, you know, someone someone else has it worse or someone else, those things I used to hear that. And yeah. it's almost like I tried to adapt that mentality, but the more that I dig in, to the truth of who we really are, to nature, to how we process in our brains and in our bodies and to energy and tapping into learning more about emotional intelligence. That is like, Mm -hmm. never say that to anyone who is hurting. Never. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) And that's what I talk about. Like I say, you should not do this comparison of pain. And mm -hmm. that's what we do. Like who has it harder? Who should be feeling more pain? I always say if somebody drowns in six feet of water or four feet of water, they're still drowning. Right, they're mm-hmm. rounds, Right, like yeah. they're dead. Right, so yeah. I don't understand. Like someone's going to be like, "Oh, well, it was six feet of water, and he's dead, and the other person was four feet of water, and he's dead." They're still dead. So let's not compare. And Mm -hmm. so I always say to people, we cannot do this. And I think we do that a lot. And I grew up with mothers and grandmothers who always were like, oh, well, your life is so good. You have it so easy. And so Mm -hmm. I felt like I could never, ever say I was tired, I was sick, I was hurting or whatever, because I then also carried that message around in my brain that there's somebody out there who has it way worse than me. And that person usually is my mother or grandmother as
0: well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, it's so I'm going to say it's so toxic when someone is trying to process and they continually hear those messages because that toxic positivity seeps into your paradigm and you begin to feel like okay, maybe there is something wrong with me if I am, you know, feeling this and someone who had it worse didn't, you know, show these same things and then there's no safe space for you to express your feelings and then you tuck those feelings in and they start to seep out in other areas of your life and you're wondering why, you know, you have trouble having future relationships and all these things because you don't get to process your feelings.
1: Exactly. And I love when you said like it's even 2 years now and you're still healing. I'm going into um, I think my 19th month since the breakup, and I still say one of the things that I've learned is not to rush my healing, right. and to know that it's okay because I feel like and I sense from certain people around me, family and friends, sometimes it's like oh like you you know you need to get out there and start dating again. You're okay, and you know you know that was just one bad person. You can't. But I'm still in the process of still healing and also sitting with this trauma because it is trauma it is trauma other big thing that as black women we do not recognize is when things are trauma and traumatic and traumatizing to us because culturally we've been so passive Mm -hmm. yeah and that's the thing and we do not sit with it and go wow this is what I went through Right? Mm-hmm. And that is one of the things that I've been really talking about a lot in my book is us recognizing when we are experiencing trauma, us recognizing when we are hurt, us recognizing when we are scared, us recognizing when we need support. Because we are so used to getting back up mm-hmm. on the bathroom floor without even looking back and saying, yeah. wow, you were broken back there. What happened? Maybe you mm-hmm. need to be down on the bathroom floor for a little bit longer, girl. We don't have yeah. to get back up right now, right? Wow. But we don't get that time, and we don't get that luxury, and we don't give it to ourselves. And for me, I was like, you know what? If I got to be on that bathroom floor for a couple of weeks, months, even a couple of years, so be it, because I'm mm-hmm. there healing. That's what I'm doing. I'm down here healing. That's yeah. what I'm saying.
0: Wow. So, you know, and a lot of people don't even, so like you said, a lot of people don't recognize certain things as trauma and it is trauma. There's a lot of things because they don't recognize as trauma that when they have these reactions or, you know, results happening in their life, that is a result of that, not realizing that they may be actually grieving something. And, you know, whether you think about losing someone who has passed away and gone on, or whether you think about losing someone who has been a part of your life, There's different levels of, I mean, there's different, the different levels of grief, but you also have to think of, okay, I'll use an example. When my sister passed away in 2012, our relationship was so tight that her loss was like, so devastating to me that I couldn't function for six months. Like I couldn't, I was barely eating. I wasn't taking care of my, I wasn't functioning. But then the following summer, my grandmother, who was now 90 years old, passed away in a similar fashion, but I was able to pick back up after a week. It wasn't that I loved my grandmother any less, but it was like the, the level of grief I'm going to say, because I was so much closer to my sister that the loss yeah. was that much deeper. So when we look at mm-hmm. relationships, for example, you know, someone can go through a breakup with it, with one person and they're able to jump back into the dating game two weeks later, they're good. Or someone else yeah. maybe six months later, mm-hmm. they're good. But mm-hmm. even when you talk about your connection with someone, we love people on so many different levels, like, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all these different levels. And if you have, you may have had all of those connections with that person, It's healing all the different layers of the onion. You know what I mean? And it's not that simple to be like, yeah, girl, just go back out there and start dating because you're going to take that hurt and it's going to come out into, you know, the new relationship. And then you're going to be like, well, why can't I, you know, keep a, a healthy relationship or why can't I, you know, have a partner for a long period of time? Well, because you didn't process your grief. You didn't put in coping mechanisms into place now because of the trauma and now it's just coming out into your actions and your results in yeah. your, your present life. You didn't give yourself that time. You didn't give yourself that grace to feel what you need to feel. Exactly. 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 And and I think that's what
1: it is, that we're not allowed to feel. And so many of us have so many emotions bottled up inside. And, you know, we, we, we show up for everybody. We're showing up for our family. We're showing up for our friends. We're showing up for our work. Instead of saying, I need some time to process this and recognize that this is a deep wound. It's a Mm -hmm. deep, deep wound. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's what I've been really intentional about. And the book was really a healing catalyst for myself that I gave to other women to say, this is what healing looks like for me. And these were some of the questions that I asked myself. And this is how I got here. You know, Mm -hmm. how I got to the bathroom floor and how I was slowly able to pick myself back up from it. Here it is, right here in this book.
0: So what are some of the, I'm going to say, the healing tools or the self-care routines that you have now that are helping you? Mm -hmm. For me, it
1: really was about being deliberate and intentional with my self-healing and self-care. So for me now, I I started... um, Once I started seeing a therapist, we were, you know, the height of the pandemic, like strict lockdown. Mm -hmm. And my therapist said to me, you know, you need to get outside at least for an hour a day. Pop that baby in the stroller and get out for a day, um, for an hour. And so I would pop the baby in for an hour, and during that walk, I would call a friend on FaceTime because we also need to make that connection sometimes of seeing somebody. And so that was my time to check in with a friend and say how I was and be really truthful about how Mm -hmm. I was. So that was part of my self-care routine. Then from that um, hour walk, I started to break it down to running 15 minutes out of that hour to now I'm now running three miles a day. Right. So that was something that I felt that jogging and running really helped with my mood. It really affected my mood in a really, um, you know, very obvious way. The other thing, too, and I know someone's gonna roll their eyes and go, I ain't got time for all that, right? But meditation <laughs> meditation mm-hmm. yep. has been really a lifesaver for me. And as I mentioned in the book, I said, if you see all of these successful women talking about meditation down to Beyonce, Oprah Winfrey, um, you know, Ellen DeGeneres, like all of these women who are talking about how meditation has, um, Michelle Obama has saved their lives. I think that we need to take note. And so for me, it started with I would get up about 10 or 15 minutes earlier than the baby. And it wasn't like I was sitting there cross-legged, you know, singing Kumbaya for an hour. It was a 10 minute guided meditation that I would type in, into YouTube, and I would put 10 minute guided meditation, and I would do it. And that was a way for me to check in and center myself, right? And become a better mother. And I always say meditation makes me a better mother, and Mm -hmm. a better person. So I have to make time for it. Right? Mm -hmm. And the other thing was journaling, I found journaling and writing down my feelings and processing was really helpful. Finding a great therapist, and being able to speak my truth and my hurts and talk about it in a safe space once a week was also paramount for my healing.
0: Mm-hmm. The other
1: thing which I did was really monitor what I was ingesting on social media yep. and how much time I was spending on it. And so I started to unfollow every single Instagram influencer who was, you know, standing in matching pajamas with their significant <laughs> other, <laughs> drinking hot cocoa, with their perfect children, with white furniture, right? And I, yeah. you know, and I was just like, I can't do this, because I can't even <laughs> find a matching pair of dance you can't relate. Right <laughs> now. And he's eating dirty Cheerios off my kitchen floor. That's me. Yeah. That's who I am at this moment, right? So yeah. i was just like, I am not going to do this comparison game. I'm I'm not gonna do it. Right? So I unfollowed anybody's account who made me feel anything like a little bit of crap or or, or a little bit shitty. I was like, I'm not doing this today. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I unfollowed them, right? And, and I always say to people, because people are always like, oh, but what if they notice that I unfollowed them? Then I said, okay, if you don't want to unfollow them, then mute them. Mute them. So yeah. they don't even know mm-hmm. that you unfollowed them. Right? But you don't want to see it, right? Mm-hmm. And I also did that with anybody who was remotely connected to my ex. I didn't want to know what was going right. on, right? right? So I unfollowed all of that. That was the other thing that I did. Because I no longer wanted to know, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I did was affirmations. Um, I'm a big believer, it it was no coincidence that my book, Black Girl in Love With Herself was published through Hay House because one of the first self-help books I ever read was with Louise Hay, who is the founder of Hay House. And it was You Can Heal Your Life. And she talked about um, um, doing affirmations and affirming yourself every day. And at first it feels strange, you know, there's a chapter in the book where I talk about how you do affirmations of looking in the mirror. And saying, you know, I am loved and cared for everywhere I go. I am supported. Things are always working out for me. And sometimes I would literally just sit there and be like, Trey, you're going to be okay. Trey, you're going to be okay. Trey, Mm -hmm. you are loved and supported. And affirmations really helped. And I always say to people when they say, "Well, well, I don't know about this affirmation thing. I say, okay. Well, think about how often you believe that negative voice. Exactly. And when that person is, when that negative Kathy is saying, oh, you're so stupid. Oh, you're never going to get that job. Oh, you're a lousy mom. How often do you believe that? So why is it that you don't think that by affirming something positive, your mind will believe that?
0: Exactly. Right? You have a choice.
1: So, you, you, yeah, exactly. And so you make the choice of what that voice is going to be. And then for me, it was about really setting time for doing me time. I would put the kids to bed an hour early. And he didn't notice, and I knew that he was going to bed an hour early. And instead of being that super mom of, like, this is what we do when our kids go down early or they go to grandma's for the weekend, what do we do? We do an extra load of laundry. We start vacuuming. (laughs) that's That's what we do as women. And for me, I'm just like, no, the house can look like a damn pit. I am going to set a bath and use that hour for myself to sit in the bath, listen to a podcast, and chill out. And Mm -hmm. I had to really stop myself from doing all of those other things that I thought would make me, you know, a superwoman. And I was just like, no, I'm going to take this hour for myself. And that's something that I really encourage women and my clients that I work with. Stop with the extra load of laundry. Stop picking, you know, lint off your carpet when you got some downtime. You don't need to. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some of the tools that I I really use and I, I
0: believe in, you know? like everything that you've listed i'm going to say that those are all the same things that are in my my toolbox and i found yeah. if i break them into mind body and soul so i'm making sure that every mm-hmm. single day all of those things that are on that list of mm-hmm. self care is feeding my mind feeding my body and feeding my soul and like you know when you talked about the walking outside i can tell you Exact same thing. Part of my healing journey has been outside every day, five kilometer walks, whether it be by myself, with mm-hmm. a friend, with my son, somebody, I have to be in nature, uh, or by the mm-hmm. water, but how healing that is for not yes. just your, your body, but healing for your mind. Like there's so many, um, health benefits, when they talk about walking outside, like it, it relieves stress and it prevents diseases and it you know, it works towards weight loss and all of those amazing things. And then when you talk about meditation, there's a lot of people, and I'm going to say especially what I found. Um, and I, it's been more, I'm going to say I've seen it more being uh, picked up and accepted by women in the Black community. But before, people would look at meditation as, oh, that's, you know, that's whatever, that's hokey pokey, that's whatever, whatever their views were yeah. about it. But I found when you actually study, you know, the health benefits, and if you're using it for, um, you know, breathing exercise, it doesn't have to be because I've had some women when I used to go to a particular church, and they're like, Oh, well, that's, you know, practicing a different, um, you know, you're inviting other spirits, like, you know, they always have their, their myths or whatever you want to call it. But meditation, it calms your nervous system. And I'm someone who struggles with anxiety, I was diagnosed back in 2006. I meditate every single night before I go to my bed. And with my Fitbit, whether it be a 10 minute meditation or a 20 minute, minute meditation, mm-hmm. you can see the results of my heart rate going from 100 beats per minute or 99 beats per minute dropping down to 75 beats per minute or 69 beats per minute. Like yeah. it calms your nervous system. You talked about the importance of journaling and some people may not understand that when you journal, it's a safe place for you to talk about how you feel. You're getting mm-hmm. it out. You're releasing that energy. Do you know what I mean? And. Geez, thank you so much for bringing up the point of therapy. And I think maybe more so in yeah. hearing about it in the past year, but it was almost taboo in the Black community to talk about therapy yeah. because especially culturally, if you come from a Caribbean background, if you have mm-hmm. any mental health issues, you are written off, you're considered crazy, you need to go to the mental hospital, all of those things, but not realizing there's so many, I'm going to say there's already so many different levels of mental health, but therapy should be like giving your car an oil change. It's a checkup. It's to, yeah. to make sure that you maintain and that you stay well. It's having a safe place where you don't feel judged that you can talk about what you're feeling, what you're experiencing and you're given tools and coping mechanisms to work through that. And you talked about the importance of um, basically self-awareness, you know, people who you follow on social media, energy is transferable. Yeah. And if I am on, like, I've had a lot of people who are actually really offended and I don't follow them on Instagram. And it's like, Honestly, <laughs> Instagram is it, it is what you make it because the algorithms pick up the things that you choose to look at. So I have friends that are like all they see on their feeds are negative memes or certain things and then they are very negative people. And I'm like that stuff doesn't even come on my timeline. The only stuff I see on my t- my timeline is coping mechanisms for uh mental health, um things to help me deal with my anxiety. Uh, people who are also putting out other positive messages about overcoming and dealing with resilience—you know, other women who I'm inspired by. So it's important that we pay attention to what we are consuming. You know, what we are allowing to come yeah. in because that affects what comes out. And so then you spoke true. about you spoke about affirmations. Um, I think affirmations are are really really. Uh, I'm going to say underrated (laughs) because when you talk about people, (laughs) when you talk about people who, you know, they'll listen to the negative self-talk, but they won't acknowledge the positive self-talk. And I think it's after the age of 25, there's only really two ways as adults that we will learn. And one is through a huge emotional bang, which is usually trauma in our case. And two is through repetition. And I am someone who strongly believes in affirmations. I write in my gratitude journal and write down my affirmations every single day Um, I have affirmation cards from the ladies at Love Power Co. I also wrote my own affirmations book, but it's the positive messages that we tell ourselves every day that seep into our subconscious mind, which is our feeling mind. And it allows us to reprogram the programming that's in there. So if there's a negative thought that you have about yourself and you don't quite yet believe the positive, give yourself an affirmation that's the opposite of how you currently feel. And tell yourself that every single day, look in the mirror, I write it on my mirror in lipstick. There's so many you know, different methods to using affirmations, but I really do think it's highly underrated. And then I think lastly, you said about the me time. I think because of the previous toxic culture of hustle, 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 we have forgotten the importance of having me time. I think when we're getting to know somebody, and we want to get to know them on a deeper level, we spend time with that person. But yet, how many people actually spend time with themselves? How many people spend time getting to know what they enjoy, doing what they enjoy? Like, if we're not doing those things, then we're constantly in this negative headspace or being pulled left, right, and center by the outside world and outside people. So I think it's so important that you spoke to all of those things. I'm like, we have the same toolbox. (laughs)
1: <laughs> there you go. There you go. That is good. That is good. I believe that.
0: Right. So yeah. I want you to tell the people where they can stay connected with you online before we go to the final rapid fire.
1: Yes, I'm definitely much more active on Instagram. You can follow me um at Black Girl in Love um, on Instagram, Facebook. I'm under Trey Anthony. So you can follow me, T-R-E-Y, Anthony. And then on Twitter, I'm trying to get better. I'm not as good on Twitter, but <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on Twitter under uh, Trey Anthony, and I'm working on it. But Twitter is just not my friend right now. But I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to get better. So that's the best place to find me. And also my website. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, um, it's treyanthony.com. And that's Trey, T R E Y, Anthony.com.
0: Perfect. So I will definitely have your website and all your socials in the link in the details section below your episode. So they don't have to search too far. They can just click and connect with you directly.
1: Yay. Good. <laughs> Thank you so
0: much. You're so welcome. So the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. And I just ask maybe five quick rapid fire questions. You can respond in either one word or one sentence. Great. All, right. all right. Let's start with What new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? Running. Awesome. When and where are you the happiest? Curled up on my couch watching a documentary. Awesome. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. Oh, You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. Awesome. What have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be distractions, invitations, family. No to going to events that
1: I really don't like the people who are going to be there. (laughs) (laughs) Love it.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, And last but not least, what impact do you want to have on the world?
1: I want to have the impact that I allow women to believe that they are worthy of self-love and care and healing.
0: Love it. Wow. And on that note, Trey, I want to thank you for transparently sharing your story with us, the ups, the downs, the goods, and the bads, because I honestly believe that our pain births our purpose. So I'm just grateful that you've put it into a book to help other women, including myself. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. And thank you so much for providing this platform. I really, really do appreciate it and for giving me this safe space to tell my story. So thank you.
0: Thank you. And you're welcome. You're so welcome to all you legacy leavers out there until next time, subscribe on all platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple podcast. Join the community of legacy leavers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at a And be sure to grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you can think of one person that would receive value from today's show, please share it with them. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith and you can tag Trey Anthony at Black Girl in Love and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.